My name is Jeff Mueller, and I'm the director for the Oasis Center. I work for Heritage Behavioral. I came to Decatur about 15 years ago, and I, I didn't come under the best of circumstances. I, uh, I'd had nearly a six-figure income for many years, and um, I lost everything. Uh, mental health, addiction, substance abuse, um, it just it, it took my life. After many years of that, I, um, I ended up uh, Heritage Behavioral Health and uh, I went through detox, I went through treatment, and um, after I got out of there, it, it was kind of like, what do I do now, you know? And, and uh, I ended up here, I found, I found the Oasis, um, and what the Oasis did is they started at, at least giving me a little bit of hope that I wasn't gonna live in the streets, you know, that I could find a place to stay. In my mind, I thought that's where I needed to be um, from an employment standpoint. It amazes me every day how important it is to, to be able to get in the shower, you know, and, and shower with, with shampoo, to put on clean clothes. Um, I'm just amazed at how I could forget so quickly, you know, that, that I needed a place to take a phone call or, or, you know, everything I own I carry on my back, so I need a locker. These are all things that, that the Oasis affords us, and, and it's cool because um, those are the very basics out on the street I wouldn't know where to get. And, and just by those, those small tokens, lotions, shampoos, soap, razors, um, folks are making a difference. So everybody that has brought something to contribute to the mission of the Oasis, I can't thank you enough. You're changing people's lives one shampoo at a time. And we sincerely thank you very much. God bless. All right, can you thank everybody for what they brought today? If you failed to bring something with you today in this regard, feel free to bring something by the church throughout the week. We'll be putting it all together come next weekend and getting it off to the Oasis, so we'll be glad if you'd participate. It's very good to have you here today, and uh, to both those in the East who have already had a chance to meet and those who are here in the West, it's really great. And let me say this, he is risen. Okay, can I just say, I was in the East a few minutes ago, and they're outshining you by a long shot, if those are here in the West. So let's try again. Well, they are. We'll try again. And in the East, you can join us, please. He is risen. He is risen indeed. We're going to do it one more time. We're going to do it at that volume. Those of you in the East, can you say it so loud we hear you from, the, from there, okay? One more time. He is risen. Amen. It's good stuff to have you here today. If you're a guest with us today, my name is Wayne. I'm part of the pastoral team, and we're going to look at Scripture together today. Luke chapter 24 is where we're going to be. Maybe you need to open up your smartphone and get, get the Scripture there, or maybe in a Bible. In the East Auditorium, there's some people moving around right now with some Bibles. They'll be glad to give to you. Here in the West, uh, there are some in the pew rack in front of you. And when we say give, I mean give it to you. You're welcome to keep it as our gift to you, all right? While you're looking for Luke chapter 24, just a brief note about what's taking place in the rest of the service, namely that in a few moments, we're gonna see a number of people get baptized. And if you've never seen that before, you go, what's that all about? Well, baptism is a symbolic act that Jesus expected of his followers. Uh, We believe that Jesus died and then he came back to life. And on Easter Sunday, some 2000 years ago, that occurred. And when somebody is baptized, they're making this statement. They're saying, I'm identifying with Jesus' death and his resurrection. I'm, I want to be known as a follower of Jesus, as a Christian. I'm agreeing that my life until this moment is being buried. 
And this is uh, an indication of, if you will, a, a statement about my conversion. My sins are dead, and I'm coming out of the water just as Jesus came out of the, the grave, and uh, I'm coming up to new life. And so, if you've never been baptized before, get ready, you could do it today, all right? Perhaps you were baptized as an infant, and your parents uh, made a great decision on your behalf to say, hey, we're gonna raise this baby in a Christian home, that's cool. And we're willing to leave it there. But if you'd like to state that Jesus Christ is indeed in charge of your life as um, someone a little bit older, whether you're a kid or an adult, we're set up for you, okay? Because um, at the end of today's service, you can choose baptism. You can choose uh, to say, I'm a follower, and you can choose Christian faith. So be advised that we're ready for you if you would choose to do that today. Uh, We have clothes you can wear in the tank. I mean, when I say clothes, I mean all the way down to skin, all right? And uh, we're ready for you. And this resurrection weekend could, in fact, be your resurrection weekend as well. There's more to come on that, but I just want you to start thinking about the possibility that maybe in about 20 minutes, 25 minutes from now, I might be saying that I'm a Christian. That'd be kind of cool, right? All right. So before we get to that, uh, we're going to see if we can have a chat about Luke chapter 24. It's about two guys taking a walk. in 2014, some of you may know that uh, like the Friday before Christmas, Christmas on Tuesday that, that year, and uh, on the Friday before, I started having this little pain here, just a very minimal pain. Next thing I know, I'm at the doctor, then I'm at the cardiologist. I, I'd never met this cardiologist. I mean, I had no reason to have a cardiologist, but I discovered I had, and by Saturday morning, they had me on an operating table, and they were doing this thin thing through here, and I have three stints in my heart. And it's all fine. And one of the things that Dr. Waters said to me uh, coming out of all that is, Wayne, you're, I, up until then I'd kind of run every day. And he said, Wayne, you have to do a little less miles every week running and way more miles walking. So since then, I've really come to enjoy taking long walks. And um, as a matter of fact, there's this really cool thing in, in Europe that's really caught my attention. It's like the Appalachian Trail of of Europe, except it's a spiritual pilgrimage. It starts in France. It's called the Camino de Santiago. And people have been walking this for 1,200 years. They just take them, say, I'm going to slow down my life and I'm going to walk from village to village. And you walk up over the mountains and you end up at St. James' grave. And I'm kind of fascinated with the whole idea. Could I pull it off? 500 miles. It's a long way. It's a really long way. I think I'll take a car. No, but <laughs> the idea is to just slow down and kind of do life like people did in the olden days. Back before, as Brian was about born. You've been making fun of me all weekend, dude. I'm gonna sign your forehead right there by the time we're done, all right? All right, so nonetheless, what my point being that uh, before the modern world came along, for the most part, it's fair to say that most of human history has involved people um, walking if they want to go somewhere or other. Now, a few people got to ride horses or mules if they could afford it, but not many could. Usually, if you wanted to go somewhere, you walked. And so we're going to read a story of two guys that are doing the common everyday thing. They're walking. Um, It's a story that takes place after the resurrection of Jesus. And they're followers of Jesus, but it's not gone well for them in Jerusalem. Jesus has been killed. They can't figure it out. And in fact, uh, the scriptures have got them walking away from trouble. Read with me. Luke chapter 24, beginning in verse 13. Now that day, this is the day of the resurrection, all right? 
Two of Jesus' followers, two of them, were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened because they've got this long walk. It's going to take probably two to three hours to get there, all right? As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with him, but they were kept from recognizing him. And, then, and so he's walking with them now, and he says, so what have you been chatting about? Let me join the conversation. And they're, they're walking, there's Jerusalem behind them, and they, they come and they just stand still. One of them, a fellow named Cleopas, that's the only thing we know about him, he says, you are the only one visiting Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened these days? And Jesus sort of feigns naivety, if you will, and says, well, what are you talking about? What's going on in Jerusalem? And if you read through the next few verses, you'll see that they describe how Jesus, um, how they'd gone to Jerusalem, how Jesus had been crucified and then had risen from the dead, and they, they don't really believe it because they haven't seen Jesus risen from the dead or anything like that. And then, so after they go through that litany of struggles, verse 25, he says to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe that all the, what all the prophets have spoken. Didn't the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory and beginning with Moses and all the prophets explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself? As they approach the village, so they're going to Emmaus, right? As they get close, it's now nighttime. It's time for dinner. They're going to spend the night. Jesus continued on as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly, stay with us. It's nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he goes in to stay with them. They're staying some sort of inn. And while he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. And this really cool moment happens. Then their eyes were opened, they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, you know, are you like me when we were walking along and he was telling the story? Something deep down inside was just, man, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven, all the disciples, and those with them assembled together, saying, It's true, the, the rumors are not just rumors, it's actually happened. The Lord has risen, he has appeared to Simon, Simon's telling us about it. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. So, it's kind of a cool story. Two guys are walking along, they're walking away from all the trouble, and Jesus shows up and he says, hey, what's up, guys? And I can imagine the scene where it says they stood still with their faces downcast. And they go, Don't, are you clueless? You're this close to Jerusalem and you don't know what's going on? They think it's absurd that someone within seven miles of the city, I mean, it's less than seven miles. We don't know how far it is from where they're having this conversation was it's less than seven miles, so it's not very far. You're clueless. It's absurd that you don't know what's going on. And we understand that, one of, that they're converts of Jesus. We understand that one of them's name is Cleopas, but that's all we know. And verse 21, if you look there, really gives us a picture of what the story's all about. The, the guy says, well, we had hoped that this fellow Jesus was going to change the course, the history, the destiny of our nation. And by making that statement, they make it clear that they misunderstand what Jesus is all about. They don't understand Jesus' story. And perhaps it'd be fair to say that we would have some with us today who, 
you're kind of like these guys. You don't really know what the story of Jesus is about. Or you have some sense, okay, this baby came as a, something about being the son of God, and then he went to be a toddler, then he went from being a toddler to a man, then somewhere in adulthood, 30 years of age, maybe you know that. 30 years of age, he, he says, okay, I'm gonna start this itinerant on the road gospel show, if you will. And off he goes, and the people gather around him, and they're thrilled with what's going on. They're, they're, they're like, oh, wow, look, if, if we could let this way in which Jesus could speak to the crowds and can heal people, if we could let that mushroom and grow into some sort of um, bigger event, then maybe we could get a movement going. And maybe we could get a political situation going on. And we could, well, you know, the Romans are in charge of us. And we could maybe, you know, this is the days of the Roman Empire. We could throw out the Roman army and we'd have our nation back. That's what they thought was going to happen. But that didn't happen. Once he got to Jerusalem, and once he failed to throw out the Romans, the people of the city said, "Mm -mm, this guy is not for us. And with that, they turn him over to the Romans and they get him executed. Now, here's the kicker. Because there's a kicker to the story. God knew all along what was going to happen. God knew all along that Jesus was going to die. Why was that? Well, God knew that evil, evil in the form of Satan, demanded payment. Now, where did that evil come from? I mean, why, why, was it, why, why did Satan demand death as a payment? Well, that's because the people of the ancient world, like the people of today, some of them are good, some of them are not so good, some are bad, and then some are really bad, right? But even those that are good, there's something about all of us. You may consider yourself a good person, but there's something about you that's not good, right? Sometimes you just think the wrong thing, you do the wrong thing, and it's, it may only be this little, but if you're going to have to be measured between good and not good based on if you ever do something bad, then you have to say, I'm not good. And the result was, in the, in the ancient world, it's the same as today. People end up damaging themselves, they damage each other, and God looks from heaven and says, hey, all this bad that's going on there, and how Satan's going to demand payment for that bad. In order to bring justice to the whole situation, because the deal was if anybody was bad, they're supposed to die, I'm going to send a missionary from heaven who will show them how to live without damaging each other. And so Jesus came specifically to die instead of, or in place of, all of humanity's wrongdoing. His death was to pay for our sin. His death penalty was for each human who had ever done anything wrong. And here is the plan. That upon his death, upon paying for the sin of each person, the power of God was going to infuse Jesus' resurrected, infuse Jesus' body and he'd be resurrected. And Jesus' death then covers the wrongdoing of each human. And then his resurrection provides a template, a pattern, if you will, a model of how Anyone who would follow him is going to experience a similar resurrection. But the guys who are walking to Emmaus, they have no clue of this. They haven't figured this out at all. And they are probably like some of us, where you've got hopes and dreams. I mean, we had hoped that Jesus was going to change the destiny of our nation. And the hopes are gone. And what are they doing? They're walking away from their hopes and dreams. And you can see it clearly in their language. Jesus says, why are you so glum, guys? And this is what they say. Well, it's, it's about Jesus of Nazareth. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers... 
They handed him over. They gave him to the Romans. They sentenced him to death and they crucified him. But we had hoped. Those three words, we had hoped. Describe what all of us have experienced at some point in our, in our lives. When we've got something, you know, we've got something in Jerusalem, if you will, that we want to see happen. And then it doesn't come along. And what, what do we call it when our hopes aren't realized? We call it what? Our hopes are dashed, right? <laughs> like some here today, you had some hopes about maybe having kids. Some of you haven't had children, you'd like to have kids. And you, and you go, man, we had hoped for kids. Or we, some would say, we'd hoped for more kids. And it's not going to happen. Or, or you had kids and then they grew into adults and you go, it's, they didn't turn out how we'd hoped. That wasn't meant to be funny particularly, but nonetheless. <laughs> and, and those of you who would make that statement say, well, given the way our kids turned out, we, we had way more kids than we'd hoped for. <laughs> but you get the idea. Something just didn't turn out right. Your career, it didn't turn out how you'd hoped. It didn't pay you what you expected. It was more stressful. The education that you took to get there, just, oh, it was a bust. Finances, you wonder how you're going to make it. You have less resources than you hope for. We have that language, right? And I would suspect that in addition to like the kids and the education, the finances and the career and so forth, there's probably somebody here today who would say the relationships that I'd hoped for didn't turn out the way I'd hoped either. Like if I was responsible to write the storyline of Hallmark movies, I'd have to write seven of them because the happily ever after has never occurred. And I get to a certain point and I got to start a new movie all over again. And I'm just in this repeating of this movie without the happy ending. We had hoped. That's what the guys say. We had hope. But then what happens? Jesus shows up. And suddenly these guys go from disbelief to belief. The rumors they'd heard in Jerusalem were actually true. And how did they go from disbelief to belief? Well, think about it. Who is it that shows up? Jesus. They have an encounter with Jesus Christ and allowed them to fully understand and believe the resurrection. They're walking away from Jerusalem and they surely had some cynicism, right? They're going, man, we followed this guy and either we were, we were part of some big conspiracy that's at best, or at worst, we were duped. And that guy, Jesus, was a liar. He was an imposter, right? But then the resurrection rumor becomes a reality. And friend, if you want to understand the resurrection, if you want to believe the events of Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection, you have to have an encounter with Jesus. Absolutely. How do you get that? Well. The scripture tells us that in regards to these Emmaus walkers in their story, their eyes were open to the reality of Jesus' life, death, and ministry when their hearts burned within them. Did you see that? It's verse 32. Were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? You know, friends, for weeks now, I've been praying about this moment in this portion of the passage and in this portion of my message. 
Because I know I'm getting to have a conversation with you and you're saying, well, Wayne, there's not a lot of conversing going back. You're talking, we're listening. Well, hopefully you've got some things that are taking place in your head and we've got some discussion going back and forth, if you will. And I've thought long and hard, prayed hard about the potency of this scriptural passage. These Emmaus walkers. I've prayed that like them, a slow burn will kind of just begin deep down within you down in the depths of your soul. And that slow burn would affirm the reality of Jesus' resurrection and everything that led up to it, his life, his ministry, his death, his burial, and then his resurrection for me and for you. How should you respond to that? Well, the same way the Emmaus walkers did. They were walking away from hopes and dreams. They have an encounter with Jesus Christ. That burn takes place within their souls. And what do they do? They recognize him and they race back to Jerusalem. But they race back to Jerusalem, not only back to the city, but they race back to their hopes, back to their dreams, and back to telling, you won't believe the story. this story we're about to tell you. It's going gonna, it's gonna to blow your mind. We met Jesus and he explained everything to us. The resurrected Christ was a reality and hope was reborn. You know, friend, I believe that. I believe that. And I'd invite you to believe it as well. I'd invite you to have an encounter with Jesus Christ. And how are we going to do that? Well, in a few moments, we're going to pray together. And as we pray together, I'm going to pray that you have an encounter with Jesus Christ. But beforehand, I want you to look at the screens and take a look at this photo. Or it's, not, it's a photo of a painting, okay? It's a, it's a painting called The Supper at Emmaus. It's by an Italian artist by the name of Caravaggio. It's very old. It's over 400 years old. It's painted in 1601. And it depicts the moment that the Emmaus walkers realized that Jesus was at the table. It's really cool looking. But notice there are, there's not two walkers, but there's a third guy and then there's Jesus. And so I would like to see if you could find yourself in the scene because the painter uh, did it specifically to see whether or not you could get in the painting. First of all, look at all the geometric lines of where everybody's looking. They're all looking toward Jesus, right? The Jesus they're looking at, though, doesn't seem quite recognizable. He doesn't look like how people normally paint Jesus. Notice he doesn't have a beard. What's the painter trying to do? He's pointing out that Jesus is God in the flesh incarnate, that the Son of God sometimes blends in unrecognizable because he's fully human. There's a fellow in a hat standing. That's the server, the waiter, if you will. It's dinner. He's serving them at this inn, this hotel, this wayside inn, whatever. And apparently, if you look at him, he's completely oblivious to the identity of Jesus. But then you have the walkers. One has his arms thrown open in astonishment. The other is pushing his chair back from the table about to stand. And I want you to notice that it's a four-sided table, right? There's Four sides around the table, one guy standing, three people sitting at the table, and there's an empty space. Why is that? Well, the artist is inviting you into the scene. Notice the food is there. It's already, there's already a plate of food. It's an invitation, a silent invitation to join the table, to join the Emmaus walkers, and to discover the reality of the risen Christ. And to that end, then, I would invite you to discover the reality of Jesus Christ, I would invite you to step into the moment where you too today could recognize Jesus. I invite you to believe. I invite you to run toward hope. How's that going to work? Well, I'm going to pray. 
And while we pray, I'm going to pray that you have an encounter with Jesus Christ. And that you would quickly run within the depths of your soul, run to a place of hope, run to a place of a new position, if you will, of belief, if you've not made that choice before. And then, in the worship service, we're going to sing together, and you could also declare that belief through baptism. Declare your faith in Christ and allow the pattern of being buried to an old life and sins forgiven and raised to a new life, yet could be yours. So here's the plan, just so you know, what's scheduled for the rest of the service today. We're right now at the message time, and after the message, we're going to have prayer, and then everybody's going to be invited to stand and to sing together, and when everybody stands to sing, if you'd like to get baptized today, we're all set for you. All you have to do is in the East Auditorium, walk out into the um, atrium area. Laurie Putnam will meet you there and get you off to the right place to get baptized. And if you're here in the West, go out to the lobby, down the stairs or out the doors, and Brian Talty will meet you, and he'll get you in the right way to get, so that you can get baptized. And um, there'll be staff members who will guide you all the way along through that. And in the meanwhile, as a congregation, we'll continue to sing, and we'll see you up there in just a few minutes, up in the baptistry. But in the meanwhile... Let's pray and see if God would have an encounter with you in Christ right now. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we ask that you would graciously meet us right now. <laughs> Lord, I know there are dozens upon dozens upon, frankly, hundreds of people here today who are in a relationship with you through Jesus Christ. We've chosen to have an encounter with him. And for that, we are thankful. We're not arrogant. We don't want to be arrogant about that, Lord. That's not the point at all. In fact, we realize that that encounter with him came as a result of your grace. But it's so overwhelming and so life-transforming, it behooves us to speak to other people as well and to offer them the same opportunity. So, Lord, I pray that everybody here today would have an encounter with Jesus Christ deep within them that they would be able to pray something Lord, that says simply, Lord, forgive me my sins. I, I, I want to see them, I want to see them forgiven on the cross, if you will. I, I, I want to be buried, all that stuff to be buried and I want to rise to new life. Father, make that a reality in all of our lives today, we pray in Christ's name.